Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armon Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski, and today we have the man, Blake Hudson. He is the Director of Sales Enablement at Rework Training and puts on an interview clinic. Why should people listen? Folks, if you've been hunting for a sales job and you're pecking around LinkedIn, submitting resumes and waiting and waiting and waiting for that golden job interview, stop doing that. Listen to Blake's advice. He's got some really good stuff and will help you land your next sales job. Three, two, one, peck around this episode. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox. If I don't get a reply in two days, that means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time, every time you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. All right, Blake, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. Well, first, a little bit of context. There's this French culinary term called mise en place. Essentially, it means everything in its place. So these three tips are about that, preparing and having everything in its place. The first tip is prepare your elevator pitch. 
use this simple story framework for a more effective opener or elevator pitch. Start by identifying the customer situation. Then discuss, you know, what can you do to help them overcome the challenges before ultimately talking about what they can expect. And here's the key. You end your pitch with a compelling question that starts the conversation. You don't just end on a word. Nice. What's number two, Blake? Number two, prepare your conversation by building your question bank. The quality of your sales conversation is in direct proportion to the quality of your sales questions. If you ask quality questions, you'll get high quality answers. What is a quality question you ask? One that is empathetic, that is open-ended, and allows for a great discussion to follow. Nice. Round us out. What's number three, Blake? Prepare your follow-up. Kind of sounds odd, but do the prep work for the end work. And it allows you to actually anticipate some things, right? You go into the conversation, you think you're going to talk about three things, you talk about five, but you've got that framework ready to go in terms of these are next steps. This is the AE I'm going to hand you off to. Mise en place. Put everything in its place. I want to talk about the social proof stuff in a moment, but I, I want to go back to like this first meeting with someone who like part of your job is to get them interested in going into a career in sales. Like that's part of the sale. And I have to imagine sometimes you sit down with people who like could be a really great fit, but they're super nervous. Like this is one of their first like conversations with someone that could further career. And part of your job is to get them to open up a little bit. And I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about like in that initial conversation, how do you get someone to start to open up and, and share more with you? Cause that's essential to discovery, right? The first thing, and these seem high level, but if you don't have the right context, it's going to inform the way you understand the content. So helping them understand, number one, they are trying to hire someone. Assume it's you until they tell you otherwise. That alone can change the whole demeanor of it. The second thing is helping them understand, listen, this doesn't have to be an interrogation. It can be a conversation. The way you change that is by being conversational and asking questions. So now that they understand those two things, their guard comes down. They understand that they're on equal playing field in this interview. From there, I help them try and do what we just talked about is develop that, that story, right? Like this is who I was and this is how I ended up in this seat today. And what I'd like to do is learn or grow or do X, Y, and Z. And this is what I try and help people understand, particularly in an interview context for your customer. A lot of people go into an interview and they talk about themselves because they're focused on getting the job. Very few are focused on what they'll do in the role. Almost no one is focused on who is it impacting. And when you talk about that in an interview, you use what I like to refer to as insider language. You both stand out from other applicants, but you also fit in as a future coworker because see, you're doing something that other people aren't even thinking about, but you also are talking in a language they can understand. And they're ultimately just trying to figure out, can I sit next to you for 40 hours a week or be on Zoom calls with you for 40 hours a week? So that's the interview prep I try and do. So Blake, I, I totally agree with you. Like when I was uh, interviewing at Carta, it was the same type of thing where I actually came in and said like, hey, here are the types of people I think you're going afterwards. And here are the types of problems that I think they have. And, and then all the way at the end, like, hey, like I got this sort of weird background where I came from venture and I, I think I can talk to CFOs. For that reason. Um, and my guess is, is you probably have a similar background like that too. And I knew I was talking to finance people. And so I think that's one really unique way to stand out. What are other things that are really common pitfalls 
in SDR or early AE interviews that you find that people just totally drop the ball on? So I had a background in politics, for those that don't know. And politicians, they have a lot of stigma around them, as they should. One thing they're really good at is staying on message. And when you get interviewed in politics, they are not trying to hire you. (laughs) They're trying to trip you up. And you have a very short period of time to accomplish a lot. And so what you have to do is you hook them with something that's very interesting and compelling, right? Because if they play the first part of the interview or the interview answer, you want people to be interested. Then you get to your point that you're actually trying to say, and then you wrap it up with a, a soundbite, right? Now that's like political consultant media training 101. I just saved you a bunch of money if you're going to run for office. But in an interview setting, what that looks like is you then are going to them. You've got this hook, right? That captures the interest of the person interviewing you. You get to your point, right? Which maybe for you, your point was like, I could talk to CFOs. You'd be amazed how like that is the thing that they go in and they're like not even aware that that's their point. And then the whole point with the sound bite, a lot of times people, they remember the feeling they had when you were talking. The first couple of seconds is purely just how will I listen to this answer? And then they'll remember the feeling you had. Is this person making sense? Okay, okay, okay. And then you end it with a compelling statement. It's like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm kind of curious. I want to almost go to the beginning of the interview first. We're like, you show up to the interview, right? And hey, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. And usually the first question that the interview asks is like, so tell me a little bit about yourself. And I've seen people answer that question in 10 seconds. Oh, well, I live in San Francisco and I don't have a job right now. And then I've also seen people answer that question in like 12 minutes where they just go on and on and on. And they tell them about all their high school extracurriculars. And the person's like, gosh, can you read the room a little bit? So it sounds like you're trying to make an impact with a compelling statement. How do you answer that question? Or how should people answer that question? Even if you want to use one of your most recent SDR or AEs who was interviewing, who had a really good interview pitch, or even the the Blake of two years ago, what would it sound like in a way that is short, concise, but also ending with a pretty compelling statement? Uh, Let's go with Katsiana. I think hers is a little bit more relevant, salient to the moment. So she is someone... She came in and I want to give you some backstory of what she was saying, how she was saying it, and then what we evolved it into. It was, you know, I did this coding boot camp and I was in software sales and I'm really, she told me she was struggling to make sense of that pivot, right? Like, why are you here in sales? Like, I want to do sales, but so ultimately we dug deep into her story and her pitch sounded something like this. You know, I wasn't always a seller. In fact, I started out by going to a coding boot camp. I saw an interesting career path and I wanted to invest in myself. So I did that and it was good, but it wasn't great. I felt like I didn't have the team aspect and I wasn't able to see my success. And, you know, I was a gymnast growing up and I didn't have the greatest gymnast experience because I was kind of a late bloomer. But I remember being on the team and feeling like I could be an individual contributor in that setting. And when I thought back to that experience, thought about some retail jobs I had and the software sales or software, you know, development, I thought maybe I could combine that in the tech sales. So what do I do? I go to a tech sales bootcamp, just like I did before, invest in myself, because if I do this, I want to do it right. And ultimately by being here today, this allows me the opportunity to be on that team, be an individual contributor, see that scoreboard and ultimately do the thing that I really love most, 
just helping people. I love being that problem solver. So that being said, you know, what do you find your reps to to have that's most successful in terms of skill sets? I've interviewed God knows how many folks. And usually it's like, oh, I graduated from UC Santa Barbara and then I was an SDR for two years. And I did well, but I'm looking for an earlier stage company where it can have more impact and yada, yada. And then five minutes go by. I'm like, all right, let's, let's start talking about cold calling so we can get through the actual interview. But with yours, what you've done is you've told it in story format, but you've also carved in three or so really high points throughout your story that I can't unremember. The first one was talking about the coding bootcamp. Then you talk about the change in, in mindset and you refer back to the gymnast story. And that was really the second one. And then the third one you talk about is the sales bootcamp. And that sort of resolves the story. And then you tee it up for the finish with a compet- with a question that sort of wraps it up all in a bow in terms of who you are. And I can remember that, right? And a lot of people will try to just droll on about their entire life story. And here's the deal. When you get 10 years of experience, your elevator pitch cannot grow proportionally with your years of experience. Otherwise, you're going to bore people to death. So I totally agree with the way that you're you're approaching it. Yeah. You don't want to read your CV and then tell me about yourself. Well, part of the thing here is the person who's interviewing you doesn't necessarily know what questions to be asking you to like highlight where you're strong. And so what you're doing is you're taking control of the conversation because they might think, oh, let's go in this direction. Let's talk about your, your job in retail when really, you know, your high school sport experience is the reason that you're a great fit. And you can talk about discipline and consistency and, and hard work and grit, and that's going to make you a more compelling applicant. And so you're literally steering the conversation and you do the same thing in a sales conversation. Interviewing is a little bit like objection handling sometimes where you've got the not interested of the world. You've got the competitors of the world. You've got the call me in six months of the world. And you've got things like the walk me through your resumes of the world. And you've got the, hey, I I don't know if you have like the right industry expertise of the world, or I don't know if you have enough years of experience of the world, or you're not in SaaS and you're trying to break into SaaS, right? And so are there other Maybe we can even rattle off two or three objections that you see as really common or questions that you see that tend to get interviewers tripped up. What are some of those hot points that you want to make sure that some of your reps have quick answers for? This is going to seem high level, but these are actually the things that trip people up. And I I developed this thing I call a cheat sheet. It's basically like a little mini research project on yourself before you go into an interview. The main ones on that sheet, though, are this, you know, tell me about your strengths. Okay. Those are the things you're good at out of context. So when I go play basketball, I'm going to be positive. I'm going to be, you know, a great teammate. Right. But then why you for this role? That is your strengths applied in context. So what that meant at Victory Lap was my positivity, my great teamwork. I'm going to be tenacious. Right. I'm going to have that stick to itness. So that's one. That's two. Another one is weaknesses. Tell me about a weakness. People don't really know how to answer that because they don't understand what the question actually is. It's, are you self-aware? And if so, what do you do about it? Because the answer should be is, you know, in context, this is the thing I struggle with. So I wouldn't tell them, you know, sometimes I don't box out when I'm rebounding. Like, they don't care about that. That's not relevant. What I would say, though, is like sometimes I can lose focus on my goal because I switched to another one. What I've done to try and address that, I won't say overcome it, is I literally keep my goals on the top of my desk on a sticky note. It helps me. I also keep a qualitative work log sometimes if I really get out of sorts. So it's literally just a sentence of what I did each hour. And I'll go back and review that and it keeps me on track. 
Another one, and this is so bizarre, but it's hobbies. When someone gives you at the very end of the conversation, they're like, so what do you do for fun? And you're like, fun? (laughs) All you know how to research was the company and yourself and your background. You forget that you have fun. So like putting down that you like reading, what books? I like architecture. You know, I like basketball. Maybe they don't like basketball, but they like flag football. And you guys can talk about teamwork and all that sort of thing. The last one is what I call the bomb question. And you kind of alluded to it because for a lot of people, it is, you don't have the experience. Why should we hire you? But essentially, there's a question that you're scared about because it could blow up your whole interview. Okay, here's the thing. Number one, have an answer for it. It doesn't have to be the best answer in the world, but you walk into that room with so much more confidence knowing you have an answer for your bomb question. What I like to do with that bomb question is just reframe it. And by that, I don't mean spin or avoid. I just mean, so for me, my bomb question was, you know, what happened at your last company? Because Victor Lab placed me at that company. So now I'm leaving and coming back to Victor Lab, which could be a good or a bad thing. Well, I could talk about all the terrible experiences and just complain and mumble and grumble. But instead it was, you know, what was actually there? Okay, so I was lacking X, Y, and Z. But also I wanted to gain X, Y, and Z. And the things that were lacking are not like terrible, make the company look bad. And the things I'm gaining are not like Victor Lap is the holy grail, but it's like reframing that question instead of going into a downward spiral of all that went wrong. So those would be the five things I would say trip people up and, and the best ways to prepare for them. One of the ones that I would say probably disqualifies people the most for me is the last one that you just mentioned where it's, why'd you leave your last company? And what people tend to do is, one, they either overcover it up and they're just like, ah, looking for, looking for the next thing, change of pace. And I'm like, so you're just moving for the sake of moving? Like you don't have an actual reason for moving? Or they overcorrect way in the other direction where they're like, this company's a mess. I hate my boss. It's been reorged three times. My quota is constantly getting raised. And it's important to raise some of those issues transparently. But when you just rake mud all over the company or on the other end of the spectrum seem like you have no real good reason for moving. The real answer is like, you want to come off to your interview that you're making intelligent, composed, rational decisions, and you're not just going to hop around or cause, cause a bunch of cultural issues. And I find that that one tends to trip people up more than any other interview question. For those that remember the one thing I asked you to keep in mind in this interview your customer is the hero of your story. When you are interviewing, the company is your customer. And so to your point, you talk about, hey, this is where I was. And to your point, I'd like to get to this other place. You know, I'd like to have a clearer sense of quota attainment. I'd like to have a more fulfilling sales process, sort of quicker sales velocity. Whatever it is, the company is enabling that. It is enabling that growth. It is enabling that support. And they are the beneficiaries, actually, you help grow that company, you help serve their customers. And oh, by the way, you get those things you're looking for as well. I'll, I'll tell you the question I think trips the most salespeople up in sales interviews. It's when the interviewer says, what questions do you have for me? And I think, think a lot of people say, oh, I don't have any. And I'm curious, Blake, when somebody asks you that question, what should you answer back? Oh my gosh. Well, you just said, I don't have any. And I got like a cold shiver down my spine because you could have just lost the interview. Right. And that and that one answer alone, you did everything right up to it. You don't have any questions. Because what is that saying? Like, it, I don't know how I put this, but in an interview, you are telling them things about yourself without saying the things. 
So if you say, I don't really have any questions, what you just said is, I'm not a curious person and I don't do my homework on the people that I'm trying to win over. You would never say that, but that's what you just said in answering that way. So there's a million ways to go about this. And a lot of folks, if they don't ask any questions, which is just the worst possible way to handle that, they get off into the woods about like these random things that they researched on the corners of the internet. Listen, you don't work there. You're not supposed to know the nitty gritty nuances. Why would you try and pretend to be that? Like selling is a hard enough job. Why go get hired and be someone you're not and have to act to, right? Like be who you are, which is a candidate who's interesting, curious, and trying to work there. I would say start to ask questions that give you a sense of how should I be preparing for this role? What is the mindset I have to take into this role? How do I succeed as quickly as possible? So, you know, what is the, the timeline in terms of ramp for your reps? Or what do you see as the biggest barrier for reps in their first 90 days? How would you define the culture? And what is one action I can take to improve that culture and not just be a part of it? Like actions and actions that put you in the company. Because the more they start to picture you in the company and think about you in the company, the easier it becomes to hire you because you're already there, basically. You're already in the seat at the company. Now we're talking about you as a teammate. Well, you know we love actionables over here at 30 Minutes to Presidents Club, so I'm with you. I like one of the things you said earlier where you're telling them things about yourself without actually saying them. Like I hear a lot of people say, yeah, I'm a really hard worker. Okay, well, anybody can say that. How do you show me that? Um, One thing that I remember reading, like, Sometimes salespeople will say, well, who are your competitors when they get asked, do you have any questions? And like that to me is showing that you're not really a hard worker because you could have Googled that. I feel like the the second level you could ask there is I did some Googling and I saw that X and Y are look like to be two of your bigger competitors. And I see that competitor X is rolling out this feature. And I'm curious, like, do you feel like that's important? Do you feel like the organization is going to build something to match that? I'm just trying to get a sense of the competitive landscape in this interview. And when you ask a question like that, they're like, whoa, like if this person's doing this much prep in the interview process, they're going to do that much prep when they're going into a customer meeting. Right. And to your point, you didn't overdo it. You didn't dump a bunch of jargon or try and be someone you're not. You said, I did a little bit of research and found this little bit of insight. But to your point about the second layer, I want to get people to that third layer. You go to Simon Sinek, he talks about start with why. He's got this three golden circle thing, which is both very simple and very profound, which is why he's Simon Sinek. Um, and basically, it's you You can start by asking what, like, you know, you have this competitor. What do you think about them? Or who are your competitors? Then the second thing is how are they different, right? What do they do that's different? That third layer is why. Why might a customer be more attracted to this, our company, than that competitor? And, and honestly, vice versa, because I'm sure that we got some things that we're trying to overcome as well. You're trying to interview them also. And you got to be able to push back, especially in sales, especially in sales. You don't want to be like, I'm just so happy to be here. It's like, yeah, but you're also trying to figure out if they're a good match for you. And asking a question like, you know, I saw this XYZ about a competitor, another tech sales boot camp, and why might a student join them? But also, why might a student join this company? That puts them on their heels, and now you're, you're interviewing them. I mean, if you can find a competitive battle card from a competitor that says, for example, when I was interviewing at Carta, there was a battle card that said, why ShareWorks is better than Carta? And I brought it up in the interview, and I was like, hey, I know these competitors, like they can say a lot of different things, but like, 
this, this, and this sounded pretty big. How do you deal with that? And they're like, whoa, like it's layered. It's like one, like you did your research. Two, you you contextualized the situation you're about to be in. And then three, now I got to answer a competitor objection. And it's like mind blowing. And then they start to sell their own product instead of trying to get you to justify why you're you're eligible to be part of the company. And the way you take that answer just to a whole nother level is if you've prepared some handles for that objection that they haven't considered. I'm just saying, you, if you're going to sell something, sell yourself first. Like you're the best and first product you're ever going to have. I love it. And I got one one last question for you before we wrap here. So great way to wrap it up. There are a lot of opinions on the close of an interview. Do you believe that you got to close the interview? And if so, how do you do it? We're talking typically to B2B sellers, right? And particularly folks that are like midsize and enterprise and up, right? Like there's a lot of stakeholders involved. The person you're talking to in all likelihood, even if they wanted to, can't spend that kind of money by themselves. Do you know how expensive you are to hire? The answer is very, okay? So you can put that on them and say, so do I have the job? And sure, they might have decided in their head, you're a good fit, they'd like to hire you, but they can't spend no money in that room. They just can't, they gotta go back and talk to someone else. And I'm sure there's times where that has worked for people. So don't get me wrong, I'm not saying never, but it's not a great strategy because you win them over by being you and answering those questions because they wanna hire you ultimately. And if you focus on pieces of paper, right? At the end of the day, like. It, you're a person, they're trying to hire you, they're people, you're trying to hire them in many ways. Let it breathe. Tension, honestly, is a great thing. Going back full circle here, you want a great story, you need some tension, right? You need something that kind of makes it push pull there and you want them to think, you want to think. It makes it so much more interesting. If you knew the plot of a movie before the movie started, you wouldn't want to watch it. So let it breathe. All right, Blake, this has been awesome. Final question is this. We've talked about a lot of like really good things that sellers should be doing both in a sales conversation and also in a job interview. But now we got to talk about a bad habit. And you can answer that either in the sales conversation or job interview context. And the question is this. What do you think is one bad habit that you see people or as- aspiring salespeople exhibit that they need to drop into the trash can because it's, it's hurting them more than it's helping? The bad habit that I see, and it's really unfortunate, is people disqualify themselves They say no to themselves before anyone even has the opportunity to. They allow the unspoken words of other people to impact them. And particularly, and again, this happens in job interviews. This happens on sales calls. This happens in life, first dates, whatever you want to put it in. We think that we're not experts, right? We don't know. And someone's going to challenge us and that's going to be embarrassing. The reality is expertise is relative. You are always one step ahead of someone, right? And you're always an expert on you. No one can shame you or judge you or tell you that you don't know when it's your story, or at least you don't have to let them shame you or judge you. And whether you're creating content, answering an interview, doing a sales call, one of the formulas that I use that I think helps people get out of that I'm not an expert mentality and start to contextualize and make great stories of everyday experiences is this formula. You have an experience, quite mundane, Say, uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? We've all been asked some variation of that question. For me in college, it was, what office do you want to run for? I was a political science major. Experience. Now, my perspective on that experience at the time 
was I don't I don't know. I mean, I'm a I'm a junior in college. I still got so much to learn. I don't even think I know all the the congressmen in my state, right? Like I did. But my point is is that my perspective on that experience was different than just the experience itself. Now here's where you start to make waves. That perspective evolves, right? And again, this can be something that happened today. You had a perspective in the moment. Now, how does it change? What's the lesson there? It's like, you know, it's not about the position I'm pursuing. It's about the person I'm becoming. That is what I was trying to convey that I didn't know at the time. Now I take that lesson and I apply it in context. And that's where the magic happens. So if I'm posting content or on this podcast, talking to young sellers or folks trying to get into sales, hey, run, but don't rush when it comes to your career. Focus on the person you're becoming, not the position you're pursuing. It'll come with time, right? And so what I did there was I just took my own experience and I created expertise on that topic because it was me. So bad habit, long story short, don't disqualify yourself. Don't say no to yourself before other people and ultimately, Don't let the power of unspoken words have power over you. Love it, Blake. Anything you want to plug before we jump off here? Honestly, just Victory Lab for for a couple of reasons. Number one, I'm grateful to them because I wouldn't be here or be in tech sales without them. So shout out to them. Shout out to boot camps in general. And also, if you are interested in going into tech sales or you want to upskill and you're early in your tech sales career, check us out. And if you're a manager or VP and you're trying to hire reps, I know as well as you know, as well as these two guys know, a lot of reps aren't prepared. They don't know how to do this work because they think it's something you either have or you don't. It's wrong. This is a craft. There's a right way and a wrong way to do it. Sales is both art and science. And so we feel like our students, when they graduate, are the best prepared, the best equipped to hit the ground running. So check us out if you're trying to hire sales reps as well. Beautiful. Blake, thanks so much for coming on the show. And everybody stick around for a 60-second recap from Armand coming up soon. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90 minute masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Blake Hudson include number one, answer the question you want to answer. You shouldn't answer every single question dead on with the book answer. If you need to redirect it, get good at that. Number two, 
tell your story in story form. Don't just say, I sold insurance for two years. I worked in strategy for two years. I worked at Carta for two years. Talk about the moments and the experiences you've had, and then bring it forward to the aha moment where you decided, shoot, like this is the next thing I need to do. And this is why I'm here today. Number three, when people ask you what your biggest weakness is, don't dance around it. Say what your biggest weakness is, but come with three or four reasons how you've thought about how you can improve in that area. And then lastly, number four, don't complain about your previous employer. It's just not good signal. It shouldn't be a push away from your old job. It should be a pull towards your new job. All right. How can people help us? So if you've listened to the episode, you may or may not have a good friend who's looking for a sales job. This episode might help them. So send it to them. We might just get a new listener out of it. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next week. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes.